So the other day, I was sitting in my garage with my eight-year-old son. His name is Sawyer. Um, we've taught him that his name means someone who cuts wood. Because we all care about what our name means, and that's what his means. Um, that wasn't on purpose. We liked the name. But we spent a lot of time in the garage. Dad, we have uh, three kids, an oldest daughter named Grace, who's 11, an eight-year-old son named Sawyer, I've mentioned him, and our youngest daughter named Eleanor, and uh, she is right now four. So every now and again, we get outside into the garage and spend a little guy time. We have an attic that you can climb a little ladder up to get to, and there's some boxes up there, similar to... This box right here. And I open up this box with my son, and I have this old man moment. Sorry, it's happening. And, and I open up this box with my eight-year-old son, and I'm like, son! And he's like, oh, here it comes, right? And some of you have these moments, maybe, with mom or dad or with, with grandma and grandpa. And, and I start to pull some things out of the box. Now, there's a reason why these things are in a box. At some point, these things had value, great value to me. And, and I'm trying to like pass this value on to my son. So I pull out this guy right here. <laughs> he's ugly. <laughs> this thing. Some of you are being really nice, right? He's, he's rather ugly. This is my teddy bear from the day I was born. Um, my mom's best friend apparently gave this to me as a baby, the oldest child. And I have no idea how this thing like ended up still alive. Uh, let alone in my hands. Uh, he's had some stitching. Uh, he's a little deformed. He's gained some weight. Um, but, but this teddy bear has been with me uh, from the time I was born. And my guess would be this. I don't remember. My guess would be is that at some point in time, this guy was really important to me. In fact, I mean, you could almost say like, like this, this, this guy was like the center of how I would define life, right? My daughter, my oldest daughter was this way with her blanket. Right? And, and different kids of ours have had different things that they grab hold of. But, but for some reason, this guy's been a part of my life. But the reality is, at some point, I like, have <laughs> you seen Toy Story? Right? I thought about Toy Story. At some point, I'm like, yeah, box. Right? I mean, that's really what boxes are. It's like coffins for our stuff that we no longer really need. Right? And, and so I was like going through this, and he looks at the bear, he's like, Dad, that's weird. They are your teddy bear, right? Like that's, we're in the garage, right? This is supposed to be like man to man moment. And so I pull out, I'm like, well, maybe this will, this will be it, right? And so I pull out my football jersey, right? And our last name took up like shoulder to shoulder, right? Pull out this football jersey. I'm like, this is going to be it, right? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. He's kind of scrounging around. He's, I think he's looking for something that he can keep and use. Um, and so I pull out this. Man, I don't even know if this still fits me or not. My letterman jacket. Got some football patches on the back. I'm told him the story that I have the receiver gloves of a guy I played football with who played for the Denver Broncos, a friend of mine. Kind of, you kind of loosely use that word, right? I know his name. Um, and, and I put this on, and like, if I wore this around, you guys would be like, that is weird, right? But at some point in time in my life, 1997, this was kind of important to me. In fact, you could almost say, like, at some point, you know, it's kind of a source of. Focus in my life. Whether it was football or I think on the front or some academic patches. Um, some of them are falling off. Um, but at some point, like, I just kind of buried those in a box up in an attic. And when I pulled out the coat, my son's like, dude, that's gross. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, it probably has like brown recluse spiders. I'm like, oh, no. Um, but it, it was this moment as I was sitting there going, man, 
Because what I don't want is for my son to grow up focusing his attention, thinking that some of the things where I thought would give me a deeper life will actually give him a deeper life. Because there's some other things in here that, that maybe at different times I thought would. I mean, there's kind of the you know, academic, the, my diploma is in a box in my attic. My college cap from here, Ozark Christian College, 2003. I love Ozark Christian College, but the cap's in an attic as well as like honor graduate. Why? But honor graduate strings, half marathon medal, first article I wrote, got published. Oh yeah, my basketball stats, these are great. I wrote the word, we won, next to one of the lines. <laughs> Not a good sign. Basketball shooting percentage, two-point shooting percentage over the season, 42%. Um, points average per game, eight points per game, nine points per game right in there. My best game is 13 points. I don't even know what year of high school this is. Apparently, it was so important to me that I put it in a box at some point in time. This is the first time since 1998 that I've seen this document that I apparently thought was so important I needed to keep. Because what happens is we put these things that we think at some point in time are the center of life in a box, and these boxes end up becoming mini caskets, and we bury them, and we turn our attention to something else, hoping it's going to give us the deeper life. If you ask my kids, the, the focus of a deeper life is candy. Now, I don't know what your favorite candy is, but um, they were hoping to find it. It was an Easter egg hunt not too long ago. It was actually at our church. And it's funny because, you know, you get all these kids lined up for an Easter egg hunt. They're all around a grass field. And, and the, the children's minister's there with a megaphone no one's really listening to. And, and on the count of three, which really only one kid heard the three and everyone just saw everyone else go. So someone could have started and just everyone else would have, it would have been locusts. They would have eaten them all and they'd be gone. But as soon as that three happens, these little kids run out into the field and they're just grabbing these eggs. Mine, 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 right? It's like the birds on uh, Nemo, right? Right? And so they're grabbing these eggs. It's like the most Christian thing we do, right? Mine, 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 mine. We're just grabbing these things, seeing how many we can get. Um, you know, then you have the last gentle person who's like, and one for you, and one for you, and one for you. And, and what happened is, is we got to the edge of this grass field and, and then they wanted to instantly open up all of these eggs. And so many of them, they were disappointing. They'd open these eggs and be like, nah. You can have that. Nah, you can have that. And, and even the, the parenting side of us comes out that goes, I'll take that, mine. Like we, had, like we joined in the Easter egg hunt, right? And, and, and there's this moment in there that, that I know is true many times for, for us. The, the, sometimes we can go through life and we're like just trying to find something that's going to bring us a, a rush, whether it's a sugar rush or just a rush in life. Anything will do, really. Or put a smile on our face. But at some point, we recognize that some of these things that we open are maybe empty at, at worst, but even then, they don't fill us up very long. And maybe you're coming to this place and you're finding yourself saying, I'm going to deeper life, but do they know? Do they know how my life feels right now? Because deeper may not be exactly how you would describe it. So what if... As author John Ortberg says, what if like, when the game is over that most of the things we've lived for just go back in a box? What, what is it that you are searching for that will bring you a deeper life? Can I ask you to evaluate that question tonight? Where is it that you are searching to find a deeper life? 
This weekend, we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles or if you have devices with Bibles on them, I'd encourage you. We're actually going to be, kind of like we do in classes here, we're going to be walking through some biblical texts, talking through them. But one of the things I want you to hear is this is that for Paul, in this group of people he's writing to, they're in the city of Ephesus, it's real people, he's a real person, writing a real letter, and here's what he wants them to know. If you want to know where to find life, you find it in Jesus. Now, he opens up with a couple prayers. Uh, The first one is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Notice what he says here. He says this, I keep asking, he's talking about praying, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, I keep asking that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Those are both the ability to understand something, so God reveals it to you. That he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. Like Paul's prayer for them is, okay, 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 listen up. I want you to know God better. That's one of our goals this weekend is to have a deeper comprehension of who God is. Because I believe this. If you have a deeper comprehension of who Jesus is, of who God is, then you will have a deeper comprehension of the life that he has called you to live. And so Paul's prayer is, I want you to know him better. That's one of our prayers this weekend. Notice the second prayer, chapter 3, verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you may have power. Oh, I can't wait to see what he says next. You might have power, together with all the holy people, all the Lord's holy people, that you might have power to grasp... Now, this word is also to comprehend. The ESV translates it to comprehend. You see how those words are connected. It's either grab hold of something or even mentally to grab hold of something. That you might have power to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. There's a little bit of an interesting wordplay there. Like, my prayer is, is that you might know something that's like beyond your ability to know it. And that's how much God loves you. That's my prayer, so that you might be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer, and let me, just as we begin this weekend, that's our prayer for you as well. I recognize that in just two short days, we might give you just a small glimpse of that. But what we also want you to discover is that as you engage in your student ministries with your sponsors, with your youth minister in your church, is that in them, we want you to see this over and over again as they try to point you in the direction of seeing life centered in Jesus. Because I've had these conversations with student ministers before, asking them this question, okay, tell me about your students. What are, where are some of the places they're going to find life? I mean, remember, if I were to sit down with you in the garage and we were to have this moment, so where is it that you're going that might just end up in a box someday? What are you living for that is eventually just going to be attic junk? Well, some of the things that, that I've heard as for themes, one is, man, our students right now, they're living for just the approval of everyone around them. I mean, whether it's likes on social media or the applause of parents or the applause of teachers or the applause of coaches, you realize how short-lived that is. Like, it's, it's somewhat addicting, but you never actually get full. It's like that weird candy you get in Easter, at Easter time. You can't ever get enough of it. And others, they say, you know, some live for achievements. And so you're like me, you have the Letterman jacket, you have the trophy, half marathon, great, what's next? I got grades, great, what's next? I had the best grade, great, what's next? I graduated with honors, great, what's next? I got a job, here's my job, here's my title, great, what's next? But it all ends up in a box. Some of you go, you know, I'm so hungry that anything will do right now. 
I'll go from relationship to relationship, even if it's unhealthy. I'll try something that's destructive because I, I desperately, desperately need something to be life for me. And some of you right now are engaging in behavior that, quite frankly, the reason you're engaging is just to feel something at all. So Paul says, my prayer desperately for you, Ephesians, is that you might know him. So here's kind of the two steps we want to make tonight. Number one is I want you to understand that we do have this deep, we do have this deep need for Jesus. Uh, Paul says this, and here's our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 for the rest of the evening. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, as for you, you were dead. Now, Probably, my guess is this, as I was getting ready to write this. Like, Paul, that's not exactly like a nice thing to say to a bunch of students who don't really know you, right? I mean, we did the nice interview where you got to know a little bit about me. But, but Paul just like comes out and he's like, hey, here's, here's who you were. you were. You were like dead. And like dead is like pretty much, I, I mean dead. I was walking down the road with my son from our house. And this is when he was like six. And we're walking down and we saw this dead cat in the road. Some of you are already imagining what he might do. And we walk on this dead cat, and he just kind of walks up to it. And then he kicks it. Rigor mortis is a crazy cool thing when you're a little kid, right? Like, wow, that cat didn't even, like, budge. It's a pancake cat. Kicks this cat a little bit more. He's like, Dad. I can see his wheels turning. It's dead. (laughs) Yes, it is, son. That cat is dead. It's not coming back, is it, Dad? (laughs) I am not giving that cat CPR right now. It's dead, son. But Jesus rose from the dead, right, Dad? Yes, he did. You are a preacher's kid, right? Let's go on. All right, and we kept walking. But the reality is, is like, dead is dead. And Paul, we're like, man, Paul, you're not very nice saying you were dead. But what if he's right? I mean, what if without Jesus we are dead? Then maybe it's not this thing where it's not like, oh, Paul, you're not being nice. Maybe he's actually, like, actually concerned. That without Jesus, we're searching after these things that don't end in life. It's like my kid running to the street, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. No, I'm like, stop, you're going to die, right? And if I care about my kid, I'm not like, nah, no big deal. Um, that's when my wife goes, stop, what are you doing, honey, right? And in this, this moment, like, Paul is like, no, 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 without Jesus, you need to know this. You were dead. And there's nothing more helpless than being dead. I'm like, sorry, can't help, mom, can't do the dishes, I'm dead. And, and Paul is like, sorry, you're absolutely helpless. As for you, you were dead. And then he says this, you were dead, how? In your sins, or transgressions and sins. These two words, some of you are like, oh great, churchy words, here we go, right? Someone puts you on the van, you're like, we're going to a thing. You're like, what kind of a thing? Well, it's a church thing. You're like, oh, right, what are we going to do? Well, you get Chick-fil-A on Saturday. Okay, let's go, right? And play basketball. And then the guy gets up and he uses words like transgressions and sins. But what if... What if God is the author of life? Like, what if God actually created the world as we know it? 
And as the author of life, he set us in a direction and said, here's the direction to go to live. And what we did is we went off that path. That's really all these two words mean. They're, they're two words there in parallel. One of them, the word transgressions. This word means to like be walking on a straight path and to be like, hey, and to start walking off a different direction, right? Like some of you do that. Like you know the right direction. You know how God created you to live, but you're like, and now I'm walking in a different direction. That's the word transgression. The word sin is similar to that. Um, it's the word to miss a mark or to miss kind of a target. Uh, and so it comes from that idea. And, and you all know, like, God would say, okay, this is the target. This is what you're going for. In fact, we would say to live like Jesus is the target. This is our aim. And you go, yeah, missed it. Not by that much. Yeah, missed it. That's the word sin. And would it make sense that if you went off the path of the one who created life and said, I'm the author of life and here's the direction to go to find life. If you went off that path, that the natural consequence would be death. See, it's not that Paul's being mean to you here. He's saying, no, 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 no. You need to know who you are without Jesus. Without Jesus, you're walking off a path of the way God created you to live. No wonder you're experiencing some of the things you're experiencing. Emptiness and loneliness and discouragement and despair. See, these words aren't, these words that we should necessarily distance ourselves from, but rather go, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's what I've done. And it's not that Paul, like, sees you as a worse sinner than himself. He calls himself, like, the worst of sinners. Like, as for me, I'm, like, first place. That's, that's not a trophy you want to put in a box in an attic. First place sinner right here. But Paul says, as for you, you were dead in these transgressions and sins. Later on to Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. He goes on, he says this, As for you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live. Now, this used to is fairly fundamental because Paul's talking to people who are believers in Jesus. He's saying like, um, remember, this is how you used to live, this is not how you live anymore. We're going to talk about this word live tomorrow. The word means to walk around. This is not how you walk around. Like you don't walk around the way you used to because now you found life in Jesus. The irony here is, by the way, that you're walking around and you're dead. And he says, how you live is this way. You follow the ways of this world. Like, so you're not walking in the ways of life. You're just walking in the ways of this world. You're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We're going to talk about spiritual conflict tomorrow afternoon. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, they aren't living the way that God designed them to live to find life. And can I just pause for a moment and say, can you honestly evaluate your life? You're going to have time in group time tonight. But you're also going to have moments in the dorm with our students. You have moments where you can wake up and reflect. You have time and service tomorrow. But the weekend's going to go rather fast. So right now, in this moment, can I ask you this question? Whose path are you following? There's only two options in this text. And one is to follow after Jesus toward life. And one is to follow after the kingdom and the king, the ruler of this world. Which is a path of death. And I know, I know, I know, you might say, that's not nice for you to say, uh, unless it's true. And like my kids, what I want more than anything else for you is life. All of us, Paul says, it's not just like, you know, those of you who like go, yeah, 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 in the youth group, I'm, I'm known as that. No, 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 Paul backs up and goes, no, no, no. See, if you thought this was for someone else in the group tonight, Paul goes, no, 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 wait, 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 pay attention. All of us. 
And in this audience, he's talking about those who are Jewish. Because like up to this point, they're like, oh yeah, those Gentiles, sinners, pagans. And he's like, no, 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 all of us, all of us lived among them, the disobedient, that is, at one time. We just gratified. Notice what these words, some of, the, some of these words may describe how you're searching for life right now. All of us at one time lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like whatever our appetite was, we just went, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Whatever it looked like it would please us in the moment. Yeah, I'll take that. And so the text comes and says, like the rest, we were by nature, by the nature of our consequences, the nature of the way we walked, we were by nature objects deserving of wrath. Now, we could leave it there and recognize that because of some of our own decisions to walk in a way that is walking away from God rather than toward him, that all of us are in the same boat of the end of our story ends the same way without Jesus. Every single time. It's like, statistically, you're going to die. Lewis Smedes um, is an author. He's a theologian. He uh, talked about a time where he bought a calendar. I don't know if you do this because I don't do this any longer. But he bought a calendar for his house. He walked in, bought a calendar, and then he got older. And he started to recognize this one day, my mind-blown moment, right? One day, I'm going to buy a calendar, and it's going to be the last calendar. And in that calendar, I'm going to flip to a month. And I'm going to flip the page to that month, and it's going to be the last Month, and I'm not gonna know what's coming. And I'm gonna kinda like, you know how you like magically just move from one box to the other, he says? Like there's this weird like trap door in one box where you just kinda overnight, you're in the next box, hey, the next day! How did that happen, right? Are my kids, when we do like leap year and skip days and skip hours, they're like, that's awesome, right? We flew and drove and they're like, it's two days backwards, hours, we missed hours, you stole hours from us? He's like, but one day there's gonna be a box that doesn't have a back door on it. And I won't know where that box is. And I'm not going to do the manipulative like moment where I'm like, you don't know. But can I back up and, and do the thing where it's like, no, like the reality is like at some point, that's our story. We were by nature all in this together, deserving wrath. But we know this, the story, I'll, I'll be back in a second. The story doesn't really end there, does it? See, the, the fact is, is when we see Paul say this, there's this part of us that goes, he's right. We were deserving of that. We have a choice. One of them is just to ignore it and go, yeah, but there's so much candy in the world. And the other is to recognize that even though we were deserving of that wrath, is Jesus came to take it for us. Is that these transgressions and sins is something he came to carry for us, to take away for us. And that even when it comes to the nature of our tomb, the nature of our grave... And I know this is so fundamentally basic, 
But if you miss this, if you don't have a deeper comprehension of who you are without Jesus, you will never get the need for him and never get the life that he has for you. And so the text goes on and says, not, but you, you started being good enough. I mean, you started attending church, you came to events on Ozark Christian College. No, no, that's not what it says. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. This word mercy is interesting. It's one of the favorite characteristics in the Old Testament of God. Mercy is this word of someone who has compassion on someone who is helpless and therefore does something to act. Like, that's like this story. God, who is rich in mercy, someone who is helpless. I'm dead. Mom, I can't do the dishes. Like, I'm dead. I can't save myself. And God goes, I will have mercy on them and I will act. And he sends his son. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace, not because of anything you've done. It is by grace you have been saved, Paul says. Now, here's this powerful thing in this story. Lewis Meads tells about that calendar. He's like, here's the crazy thing about Jesus. It's like Jesus' day came up on that calendar. And he's like, yeah, I'm blowing the back door off of that day. And when he raises from the dead, he blows the door off of that calendar into eternity. And he says, hey, who'd like to follow me? The more I understand who I am without Jesus, the more I'm like, I'm following the resurrected guy. The more I understand that there is no life that extends beyond this life that is found in anything else than Jesus, the more I go, I'm with him. I need him. And here's what I want you as, as high school students to understand this evening, is I just want you to start. Tomorrow we're going to talk about walking with him. We're going to talk about this conflict that we're engaged in and how you can work and walk with him and live with him. But tonight I want you to understand this. You need a co- deeper comprehension of who you are without Jesus so that you can have a deeper comprehension of who you are and who, what your life is when you are in him. It is by grace you have been saved. That word saved means to rescue. I've told the story before, but my son actually loves it when I tell this story. It usually makes him cry, actually. I have no idea why. He has such a soft heart. We were at a hotel, and uh, we were uh, traveling as a family, and we were swimming. My wife was back up, I believe, with our youngest, who was a baby at the time, up in our hotel room. And, and, and we were swimming. Dad's swimming with both kids. Oldest daughter gets out. She goes in the pool. They have this way of like going from hot tub to swimming pool back and forth. And I'm like, oh, we're going to die. And, and, and what happens is, is that she got out, went into the pool. And so at that point in time, I got out to get into the pool. My son was following after. I got into the pool just as he was trying to get out of that, that hot tub. And, and you know how hot tubs are like donuts where the middle is deep? At that moment, I was in the pool looking back at him. Hey, buddy, come this way. His foot slipped in the hot tub. He's only about 15 feet away, but I saw his feet slip and I saw his eyes get big. And I could see it like he didn't have to say it. I knew what he was saying. Dad, rescue me. I I can't do it on my own. These words, the great love of the father, that mercy, that Passion, that compassion that causes someone to act on someone else's behalf when they're helpless. That heartbeat is just a microcosm of the heart of God that he has for you. Paul later on reminds them, and maybe you need this reminder just like the Ephesians do. Why would you go back? Here's what he says, Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Put off your old self to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God. See, it's not that God's saying, hey, I just don't want you to walk towards sin. He's actually turning our attention to say, no, I want you to walk toward life. 
Like, I want you to have this new life. I want you to look like Jesus. I want you to live the way I created you to live. I want you to have life. And like a father looking at a child who is helpless, God looks at us and says, I want that for you. I want life for you. So here's our response this evening. And you you take this and make it what you will. We're just going to kind of toss it out there and go, God, I don't know. We trust that his word and his spirit is moving. But maybe you have some things that you're like, you know, that's the life I used to live. And when you were buried with Christ, when you were baptized, you said, yeah, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to allow my sins to be crucified with him. I'm going to walk toward new life. But like the Ephesians, that somewhere along the way you need a reminder. No, 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 no. That doesn't lead to life. That's not first. Maybe it's even good. But it's just not going to lead to life. And if there's some things that you've been living for, maybe they're not even sin and transgression. You're just putting them first. If there's some sin in your life, you're like, no, this is, this is leading where it doesn't need to lead. We want to ask you to respond sometime this weekend, maybe during the next few songs, maybe during your group time tonight. There's some pens and cards on each of the corners of the stage. What we'd like to invite you to do is just write down a prayer. And we're not going to read all of these. Um, but I, I just want you symbolically to, to reach in and to drop it in this casket. To say, no, no, that's the old self. That's the old self that's been buried with Christ. And to make this decision to say, I want to walk toward Jesus. I want to walk like him. That's where we'll pick up tomorrow is walking like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for bringing all of us into this room. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to comprehend your great love. We pray in Jesus' name.